This podcast is protected under the laws of the United States and other countries. Unauthorized duplication, distribution, or exhibition may result in civil liability, criminal prosecution, and the wrath of the tall man. <laughs> Boy! Hey, let's talk about you, the ID10T community events at ID10T.com, like Russ Stevens, a.k.a. Cool Movies Darth, who uh, has started a podcast called 90 for Chill, uh, which Russ says is dedicated to movies with a runtime between 74 and 99 minutes, the time frame that I feel is ideal. Russ, I could not agree with you more. That is a fantastic idea. Uh, Russ goes on to say there are times you need a cinematic fix but don't have time for the latest Scorsese masterpiece or offering from a comic book universe. There's also times when you know you need a conclusion to prevent a binge costing you a whole night. Um, my guests and I try to follow these guidelines as we chat up features that are definitely worth your time and are beyond easy to make time for. 90 for Chill, the podcast, can be found on all major podcast platforms at 94chill.com, and that's spelling out 90, uh, N-I-N-E-T-Y, 4-F-O-R, chill. Um, so there you go. Thank you so much for sharing, Russ. A uh, really great idea for a podcast. Events at ID10T.com for everyone else. Little hands, it's time to rock and roll. Bring the noise. Thank you for checking out 90 for Chill, the podcast with Cat Bus Russ. This is your host, Cat Bus Russ. If you want to get an idea of what might be coming up on the podcast, go and give me a follow on Letterboxd. The username there is CMDarth. That's C as in cool, M as in movies, Darth as in a Slith Lord. And I believe you can get your Amazon Echo or Google Nest device to play this podcast, fill your home with my dulcet tones by asking your device to play podcast by Russ Stevens. That might bring you down to the old Podbean uh, feed, but we're going to get over that. And needless to say, I've put a big red line saying get off the Podbean feed. So please do that. Follow 90 for Chill, the podcast with Catbus Russ, instead of 90forchill.com, the podcast. Thank you. And this week, I'm just uh, taking it, trying my best to take it easy. I am thoroughly exhausted. I've got the head cold. I think it's gone down to the lungs. So I'm considering just after concluding Thor, Love and Thunder, trying to get myself out to the bars, get rid of some extra business cards, what have you. I ended up uh, having a pretty good week, I'd say, in terms of movies watching it to watch. So we're going to start with the line... Well, basically, we're going to start because I've already written the blog post uh, for it. Hey, doing the most I can with a Sunday. So we're going to start with the 1979 Children's Television Workshop Classic Teachers Don't Want to Teach movie back on VHS when they rolled that carton. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe from 1979, as I stated. It's animated by the same guys who did the Peanuts. And I think they should have probably taken a little more uh, character work from the Peanuts. They tried to be unique, and we'll see where that goes. And then I'm trying to get as many Netflix DVDs out of the way as I can. So I finally got around to watching Another Earth, which is... Uh, was a tough watch for me, but a rewarding watch. And not because it's a bad movie and I survived. It's because it's a real movie that's got a lot of issues that I kind of dealt with. So, 
And it's science fiction without being, well, it's science fiction solely on philosophy. So it's a very interesting picture in that uh, regard. And then we'll get to MC Tuesday with Thor Love and Thunder. So I'm not going to say anything else right now because maybe I don't want to watch another Marvel movie for a bit. We'll find out about that. So if you want to be a guest on the podcast, uh, go and send an email to russthebus07 at gmail.com. That's R-U-S-S-T-H-E-B-U-S-07 at gmail.com. Or follow me on Twitter at CatBusRuss. Or be really cool and follow me on Mastodon. That's at RussStevens at Mastodon.social. Just offer me a movie, a theme, a director, an actor. Try to focus on movies between 70 and 100 minutes, but I will make anything work if you're willing to put in some extra work as well. So that's the rules. And if you want to be a real friend of the show, rate and subscribe on your favorite podcast apps. I do reciprocate those reviews. And be as honest as you want. Uh, j- yeah, so five stars just to get the algorithm going so we can make a better show. And be as honest with your criticism as you want to be in those uh, in the text. That is about it. I just need to, with Thor Love and Thunder, it did leave me thinking a lot about my inspiration, uh, why I'm still trying my best to make something of myself, and that would be Station Marie Harden. Thanks for touching uh, my life, and I hope you're looking after everybody's life you touched when you were of the physical realm, and I hope you're taking good care of Skimbleshanks, or I hope he's taking good care of you, or at least offering you some great conversation. You can't fault the one-eared angel. So thanks for coming to the 90 for Chill, the podcast, and enjoy the show. Adventurous fantasy into a strange and mysterious land. The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe. Sunday and Monday at 8, 7 Central and Mountain. This is CBS. And I've just revisited... 1979's animated feature, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, uh, from Bill Melendez Studio via the Children Television Workshop circa, 19, as I say, 1979. And when I looked like, oh, Bill Melendez, that's a familiar sounding name. He's the guy responsible for directing or producing, at the very least, many of the Peanuts cartoons. And you can see that connection in this with the uh, design of any of the non-children characters. Those are kind of unique in a sense. Kind of feels like comic, um, as in comics, the funny pages, dare I say, in the newspapers. And those are very effective, uh, but no, the children designs are just, oh gosh, they are so inconsistent with each other, trying to add little identities to each character, and it just eh, doesn't really work for me. This is a uh, film that was definitely, well, at the end of the f- credits, you see, recommended by the National National Education Association, which, okay... Let's not uh, go and promote Christianity in schools, but public schools, I should say, but I digress. So I found this uh, DVD on eBay back in 20, uh, at the end of 2021, one of the last things I received at Marine Bank before my unfair dismissal. I thought, well, surely my manager, who is just a year below me in school, who would have uh, seen that because I figured it was just a go-to substitute teacher or, in my case, my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Stonewall, 
Uh, so we're talking 1991, 92. She was... Uh, quite the fan of these novels and reading them in class it's quite the christian allegory of course uh that's its reputation doesn't say it so much and i guess c.s lewis may have been clever in many ways like oh we'll just call the main character the the character who's the guide in a sense the mentor the professor so it's science and a lot of magic very uh simple story uh well they cut out all the setup, actually. I guess you could say they made it so it could fit in any time, not just World War II. So I don't know if that's a cool, good move or not. Uh, I think it's probably easier to introduce kids to that way. Hey, if you got to pro- create that propaganda, uh, Children Television Workshop knew how to do it. And I think you get similar things with other projects um, the CTW have done, uh, like Bridget Terabinthia back in the day and so on so forth no i'm the atheist now but i'm not saying i didn't get good things out of christianity you know if it wasn't for my martial arts discipline and christianity oh gosh i could have pro- uh i think that kept me from doing anything vengeful dare i say because there's a lot of mockery of me living in a town like morton old names still rule you're not from old money then you're not uh you're kind of secondary just being a nerd wasn't really cool back then nor do i know if it really is cool in elementary school but you know i'll just have to keep an eye out on my nieces and nephews and keep keep them nerdy and if they got problems let them come to me they go back they they two of them are in morton so it's like oh Maybe now, without my god, I can come go and uh, even some scores. But, oh, I digress. So, uh, the story is about four children who are living with the professor. And I know the original setup is basically they sent all the children from London to the English countryside to avoid the Battle of London and... Uh, really weird, because I kind of, like, oh, you know what, I'm going to skip to the end of this series, and like, whoa, last battle, pretty intense stuff, but Luce, during just exploring the house, Lucy, the youngest child, finds a wardrobe to hide in during a hide-and-seek game, and ends up just going deeper and deeper inside of it and ends up in a world card called Narnia, Narnia ran by which is in constant winter based on the whims of the white witch and eventually her uh, second her youngest brother still older than her um, entertained her ideas and Ends up meeting the White Witch, and now we've got the fam. And after some advice from the professor, like don't listen to the lying kid, listen to the honest one. We end up creating a situation where we have a war, where Edmund is essentially Judas, Aslan is the lion who's going to save the day, representing Jesus, and I guess the White Witch is Satan, um, or. Pick your biblical bitch. <laughs> so, 
Um, so really, it's charming because, as I say, this was a constant VHS on days where oh, we just don't have. I just don't feel like teaching. Dare I say? Or a reward for letting her, uh, Mrs. Stonewall, read the Chronicles. Um, and it's the story, the pacing, the story is fine enough. Um, basically, this is kind of Cliff Notes, I, I imagine, because I kind of picture this on the same level as the Rankin Bash, um, Rankin Bass Hobbit from a year earlier. So, and if you know the history between Lewis and uh, J.R.R. Tolkien, you kind of see where that's going. So, there's just really, I like some of the animation shortcuts they use. Uh, I find it kind of charming, especially growing up during that time. I mean, no, I wasn't around 1979, but, you know, the effect of these movies, uh, cartoons, going into... uh, you know, growing up on VHS. Um, but then there's just some bits where it's like, uh, where you can see the Peanuts influence, like, oh, cut to this person being cheeky, and it's like, yeah, it doesn't really work. Um, and then voicing, voice cast is a little weird. The two daughters of Eve uh, speak in American accents, or they were really told to lessen their English accent, because I know there's a lot of English actors in there, but the, but the Sons of Adam were not. And, uh... There's just... We don't get to see Father Christmas, so there's just... Like, it's really nuts that... Basically, the message is, the ideal world is based on Christianity, is in the end. And, uh... You just have to peel back those layers. So... um I mean, it's a fun. I, I'd say it's a fun watch if you want to do it with your kids and don't tell them about the entire God thing. We can keep them atheist. Um, as I say, it, it's a fun, innocent watch. Honestly, I mean, as I say, it's magic, it's science, and it you know it's no different than showing your kid a my favorite Superman movie, Man of Steel. Um, and just like, see, it's all about being willing to just stand up for what's right. So, it's, um, yeah, it's a nice little flashback to the days when my little brother or sister was renting it from Blockbuster and Peoria. Um, and as I say, it's, I really liked Mrs. Stonewall, uh, one of my favorite teachers. Good person, uh, for the, well, I don't like breaking the church and state thing mean meant well so uh and she also read a wrinkle in time and i can't really remember that being too much a christian allegory but then again Allie was a big and like i want to see the oprah winfrey version so maybe yeah i think there's uh plenty to enjoy show them this and if that inspires them to read the novels i mean that's just how that's the way to do it let let us find the faith i suppose and don't just place them on it. This is Dr. Joan Tallis, the United States Planet Earth. Do you read me? Is anyone out there? Come. 
We're getting feedback. Let's try another channel. Hello? Hello? This is Dr. Jones. What does that Listen. mean? I don't understand what Kimberly. that means. In the grand history of the cosmos, more than 13,000 million years old, our Earth is replicated elsewhere. There's another you out there. Now you begin to wonder, has the other me made the same mistakes I've made? And is that me better than this me? Let me tell you a story. It's about a girl. She does something unforgivable. I've just concluded watching Another Earth, a film from 2011, directed by Mike Cahill, written alongside the star Britt Marling. And it's, as Roger Ebert would say, it is basically a light, more contemporary version of Andre Tarkovsky's Solaris. So that's a uh, really simplified way of saying it. Um... I think I had some other thought as I finally got around to the uh, conclusion. Uh, it's a story about another Earth just being discovered, which seems to be at first just supporting uh, the ability to support life, you know, similar ecosystems and what have you. But four years later, we seemingly have come across a mirror world. But that's really in the background of it um, is more of just your um, I guess you'd say the uh, Chekhov's gun <laughs> which um, the story is about our main character Rhoda who after getting accepted to MIT the night that we discover this another Earth being known as Earth 2 she is in a dr she drunkenly drives into a family's car killing the pregnant mother the son and leaving the driver in a coma and there's just so much that starts to get me angry about the film primarily that okay so yeah accidents are worth four years of your life being gone that's not how we learn my opinion so after uh attempting suicide upon getting out of jail she tries to just make amends with John, the um, the driver who's obviously fallen into deep depression. 
And after failing to do that, she decides, well, after she chickens out during her effort to talk to him, she decides to pose as a maid service and starts cleaning his house. And eventually romance may bloom, but with that dark secret, how can it actually work? And in the meantime, after her suicide attempt, she decides to apply to be on a civilian shuttle, or I should say rocket, to go to Earth 2. It's all experimental, of course, but she figured if all of Western colonization was based around sending the unwanted, the convicts, and the religious nuts, she's kind of appropriate for that. So... Does she get that flight? It do, do they reconcile? That's basically how the movie goes. Um, the direction is, I think, a little too indie for my taste. Um, it just feels very natural, but it's just, I don't think, works with the narrative. I don't want a natural feel. I kind of just want a... I don't, I mean, I don't want fast cuts i don't want any real tricks i just want this the narrative to be the focus um instead of just like oh well we're just following around a documentarian style i guess is what i'm saying i i just don't want that i really i just want a focus on the action maybe a more development into the something that gives a point of view i think from our protagonist um but otherwise i mean as i say it's a rough movie to get into like okay half hour in and we're just now getting to her introducing herself into the life of a person she essentially ruined and you know it's just maybe it hits too many too many points in my own life um but again, I'm just so angry at the fact that we live in a society where, and that really brings up a lot of questions about society. Like, okay, so you commit an act, you have an accident, so you must be punished. And it's like, you know, if something's not, if a kid makes an error and nothing malicious was intended, we don't ground them necessarily. Or maybe I'd be a crap parent. I know I've never been grounded for an accident. Now, I may have acted stupid before, you know, played with matches, and, you know, like, oh, you if you're going to venture out that way. Um, so, yeah, I get angry at that, and then eventually an element of, well, what if she does get the ticket, and there's millions of more qualified people or more deserving people than an ex-con, which is like, oh, now we you know, capitalism and make, you know, making, making sure that the privilege get first crack at everything. So again, just a lot of elements that of society are in this, that you really just get angry about like the reform system and over again, trivial stuff. You could say, well, three dead if you count the uh unborn child which i think is bs unless that's motivation for a murder so uh, uh you know but 
you know, what, you know, I, I, you know, servitude to that person. Yes. You got to make up for it, but, and yeah, maybe she doesn't get to go to MIT for that poor decision she made. But again, malicious, no malicious intent. I just don't, don't feel cool with, uh, punishment, I suppose. So call me a softy. Um, so it, so there's just so much in this feature that keeps me a little angsty about that, which might be too much in my case. Like this is okay. Here we go. I I'm saying this is more of a, there's a monster ball type vibe to it. I accept, you know, that's all circumstance and just coincidental. Um, the relationship between Billy Bob and Holly Berry. Um, so yeah, that's, um, so that's where it is for me. It's like, you know, you bring in elements like what if she gets the flight? What are the parents going to think? And I've lived through kind of similar situations and I've had, um, been involved with somebody who, you know, may have been responsible for my best friend's demise. And it's like, that's, a mistake and well that was probably a more malicious mistake you know but can you just go and basically in the end it's a story about just are you going to define yourself by your mistake and you know there's just a chance to go to a cool planet otherwise so it's a worthwhile watch uh it's, as i say it's a tough one uh to get into but um I really, really find find it just. I mean, it's it's a touch and tale, and that's really. Um, I guess okay, yeah. I really would like to focus more on the other planet, because again, I've kind of lived the dealing with the hyperbole murderer of of somebody you care about, and you know, learn to try to live through it. So, yeah, it's really affected me. And I guess that um, if you have had any similar life experience where I guess I might be a little more empathetic and trying to place myself in other people's shoes and maybe more accepting of like, well, you can't really do anything about what's happened. And I'm sure everybody's been on one side or the other of this. So I think it is a very relatable tale. Um, as I said, I could have used a little more space, but space does kind of pay off in the end. So I would say this is kind of like, uh, monsters ball really comes to mind. Um, a monster ball meets Matt NASA. So I would check out another earth if you uh, just want to engage in a really touching story. These hands were once used for battle. Now they're but humble tools for peace. I need to figure out exactly who I am. I want to choose my own path, live in the moment. My superheroing days are over.
You ever feel lost? Just look into the eyes of the people that you love. Not me. What? Just listening. So, Thor Love and Thunder is, um, you know, I had fun with it. Uh, it has a really cr- just poorly edited, constructed first act, which kind of makes you just hate the fact they wasted the Guardians of the Galaxy with that tease at the end of Endgame. Um, but once you get by that, I think I could have still cut a half hour off this movie. It just seems like Taika Waititi wanted to had a lot of great ideas and visually it works out like you can just tell this is him having a ball so it looks great and as i say it's just the first half hour is just so sloppy it just feels insulting but you once you get by that uh with uh thor's adventures and trying to stop the god butcher and save his true love uh jane foster it's um is a lot I think it's a lot of fun and there's you know cheeky little moments where it got me uh, a little teary eyed so there's some effective storytelling there it's just again getting through that first act and I'm not saying the first act isn't funny it's just so it's like basically a YouTube jump cut of uh out of context uh, Flight of the Concords montages or Family Guy would probably be something I'd be more close to watch. Just oh, this is funny. Let's let's show it. And I just again find that a little too insulting to my attention span. Dare I say, like no, I want something to be built from this scene. And as I say, they virtually wasted the Guardians of the Galaxy in this one. So it's. And that's just very insulting with the tease. I think we needed at least one Ask Guardians the Galaxy movie before we uh, moved on to Thor Love and Thunder. So the story is uh, the of the God Butcher, Gore, played by Christian Bale. And he is great in this film. I think you could basically say, I basically can say, you do not need the Dark Knight, people. He took the best bits of Heath Ledger and gave some great, uh, perf- great homages to that. So, and you know, Christian Bale. I mean, aside from, dare I say, Brokeback Mountain, what's on Heath Ledger's resume? So, all right, enough of me bad mouthing uh, a Christopher Nolan movie that's overrated, I guess. Uh, so. The initial goal of Gore, a man who found that his god is nothing more than somebody who enjoyed just being worshipped. And this isn't like our Christian god or Greek gods in uh, Marvel uh, Universe. I think we're 12, 16. Um, They don't need it. They just figure out. People are going to find the stories and they're going to worship again. And we don't actually have to help people. So 
if they're going to allow for a cruel war world, Gore is going to end them all. And now he's on to Thor, seemingly. And in the meantime, Thor is just trying to find himself with the Guardians of the Galaxy. So a lot of hippie stuff there. And Jane Foster is dying of cancer. They don't specify what. I think that would have been a nice detail, just that she's at stage four. And sadly, I could cut Kat Denning out of this movie. I could have really just like, all right, let's get her grabbing Mjorn, uh, Mjornir, and we got a movie. So, But uh, as I say, get past that first act, and I had a lot of fun with this film. And, you know, I guess it's kind of for the kids, dare I say, the entire Guardians of the Galaxy bit. And... You know, we don't really get... All we get is a lot of use of the word shitty. So is this a build-up to the F-bomb in Guardians 3? I don't know. Uh, but as I say, visually, it looks pretty good. I, they, I love changes when they go to a Shadow Realm and it basically gets to become a Frank Miller movie. Um, the entire omnipresent, omnipresent city where we meet uh, Russell Crowe as Hercules, not Hercules, I'm sorry, Zeus, and he's just hamming it up. This is the kind of Russell Crowe I want. So uh, it does a lot of things right. I think Tessa Thompson's pretty solid in it. Um, and you can't help but enjoy those screaming goats in the film. So, uh, And another plus is I really love the homage to just the respect shown to Guns N' Roses, perhaps the best metal band of the 80s. Don't at me, Metallica fans. You know what they sold out. Um, Guns N' Roses is always this tacky hair metal stuff. And, I mean, even when I saw them play Glass, Glass saw Glastonbury being aired on BBC when I was in London, it's kind of like, yeah, I can, I can still love it despite Axel can't sing worth a damn now. So, uh, yeah, so tearing up moment for me was when the kids are all given powers to fight off shadow monsters and it kicks into the guitar solo from November Rain. So there we go. So it's, um, I don't know if we have much to do more to do with Thor. I think we've had the closing point for Thor many times. So that's what I really fear is that we're going to keep dragging him along. Come on. He's a Hemsworth. There's got to be work for him otherwise. Uh, as long as we get, I guess, to see Thor 5, I am going to need the Grandmaster to come back. So you get me Jeff Goldblum and Russell Crowe, I will be there opening night. So that's Thor Love and Thunder. I'd say better than Black Widow. Well, more interesting than Black Widow. Uh, just not quite... Uh, not quite as much, and, and just a little better story, little better construction. It could have been as good as Multiverse of Madness. So, there we are, Thor: Love and Thunder. Can I hear a wahoo?